0: Welcome to Travel Takes from Generation Travel Radio, where we share our thoughts on the latest updates in travel. You are listening to Travel Takes Incoming, which focuses on travel and immigration news for those coming into the United States. Please note that the opinions shared in these episodes are the personal opinions of the individuals and do not reflect the views of their employers. Furthermore, we are not providing legal advice or guidance and are not responsible for actions taken by listeners pertaining to the topics that we cover. If you are seeking legal advice regarding immigration, we encourage you to reach out to an immigration lawyer. We hope you enjoy listening. Hi, everyone. Welcome to an episode of Travel Takes Incoming. It's a long one today, so remember that you are able to speed up and slow down your podcast listening as you please. And here's a brief agenda. We talk about duration of status for international students. We talk about work permits for victims of crime. We talk about asylum seeking for those who are victims of violence. And we talk about how to protect yourself from fraud and scams. Then we hold out on you, and at the very end, we touch on some prime political figures and what they have said about immigration in the last couple of weeks. The date of recording is June sixteenth, twenty twenty one. Enjoy the show. Hello, welcome to Travel Takes Incoming. Today we have Olga, Kiwi, Aaron, and myself, Kelly, and we're going to be talking about all of the recent incoming into the United States immigration news. Um, so we've got a lot of the on the agenda. There's a lot of things happening, uh, and we're going to start off by t- focusing on the international student education component, um, incoming international students into U.S. universities. And Kiwi's gonna kick us off with some really exciting updates that have happened uh, just in the last couple of days. Take it away, Kiwi.
1: Thanks, Kelly. Um, Yeah, so today what I wanted to talk about is the publication of the Spring 2021 Unified Agenda of Regulatory and Deregulatory Actions. Um, Government agencies are required to publish these agendas twice a year. So usually those come out in the spring and the fall every year, and they list um, whatever those agencies' priorities are. So um, whatever work that they're taking on in that year, and typically it will have like a completion date, the status, all kinds of content that you can view and access. Um, But what's really exciting about this spring 2021 agenda is that um, the Department of Homeland Security published um, on this agenda, their intent to withdraw a number of proposals that had been added to the agendas over the past couple of years that really impact um, F1 and M students largely, and uh, are proof that advocacy in this in this field really works. Um, So the biggest and most exciting um, withdrawal that they announced on this agenda is the withdrawal of the proposal to remove duration of status. Um, So this is kind of a bit nitty gritty, but F and M students are admitted to the United States typically with what is called duration of status. So when they arrive at an airport or point of entry, um, they meet with customs and border and are given entry to the United States in their visa status. Um, and that status is valid for a period of the duration of status so as long as they're following. The rules and the laws and regulations that define those statuses students are permitted to stay in the United States, as long as they are you know still enrolled in a program this is different from other um statuses where they might have a specific date through which they're permitted to stay in the United States. So it could be um, a year period or, or whatever, um, but the person the individual would have to depart the United States by that specific date. Um, this proposal to remove duration of status was um, something that the Department of Homeland Security put forward to propose that students of the M category would um, have this fixed date Admission so rather than being admitted for a duration of status aka you know as long as they needed to complete their degree and as they're making progress. Um, the Department of Homeland Security was saying no we'll admit them with a fixed date. Um, the proposal was that, that date would be not to exceed four years with options to for period periodic extensions, so if a student were still. Studying, um, then the school would need to help them apply for an extension of status, uh, which, you know, if you're not in in the day to day of this, is a really time consuming process um, and actually can take up to nine months or even longer. So the student would need to document why they were extending their status, and this petition would be filed with USCIS, um, adjudicated by USCIS. All the while the student is caught in a limbo of having expired status the pending application for extension and needing to meet the rigor of their academic program. Um, This also would limit students ability to work and gain practical training and experience in their fields, while they're waiting these extensions of status, excuse me. (coughs) So it really was quite a burdensome suggestion on the part of DHS and and what it meant was that no longer would the students priority be their academic program but it would be jumping through the hoops of a hoops of a complicated immigration system um so a lot of folks in the field a lot of um legislators a lot of elected officials businesses all kinds of um People really fought this one back in September and October. Um, with any kind of proposed rule change as an aside, there's always a period for public comment. And this is a great opportunity for people to get engaged and um, share their thoughts and opinions on any kind of proposed ruling. Um, so this one really activated a lot of people because it meant the impact was would potentially huge. Um, So it was really exciting to see that this proposal is intended to be withdrawn by the Department of Homeland Security. Um, This would keep in place policies of duration of status for F and um, M students since the early 90s. So this is, you know, been in place for a very long time. Um, Also withdrawn from the agenda. Practical training reform, which originally appeared on the fall 2017 agenda. The language in this proposal kind of evolved over time. Originally, it was couched in the phrase of protecting US workers um, from any kind of disadvantage that they might experience at, you know, being disfavored um, over non-immigrant workers. So F and M students. then it kind of pivoted to reducing fraud and, and kind of speculating that practical training opportunities are um, you know, rife with fraud. And then in its final iteration, it was a little bit more vague and it just stated that it would amend existing regulations um, and revise the options available to FNM students. So it was really ambiguous and clearly not kind of a defined, Reform. Um, personally, I'm not opposed to practical training reform. I think that it's a system we're talking about optional practical training and curricular practical training, largely for F students. And these are opportunities for um, international students to get, you know, hands-on experience in their fields of study. So certainly, the work world has changed since these these regulations were written. You know, our um, I mean, even just in the past year, we can look at how much the, our working experience has changed um, due to the pandemic. But so I'm not opposed to practical training reform, but the language that the Department of Homeland Security was using in this proposal and the kind of punitive tone, perhaps, um, I'm glad to see that this is being withdrawn as a priority. Um, it likely will be revisited in the future and we'll come back up, but I'm hoping that it will be brought up in a lens that is more um, student friendly. I think particularly with curricular practical training, that's CPT, um, there's a lot of regulatory gray that can be very disadvantageous to students. And so having um, reformed regulation could be a really um, great benefit to the field, both as practitioners, those of us who are working um, as DSOs and school officials, Um, as well as students. Um, Another couple that I just wanted to touch on briefly were the adjusting of the student exchange visitor program fees, as well as the um, proposed process of completing eligibility checks for DSOs and AROs, and those are designated school officials and alternate responsible officers. for the FNJ program. So, those are people like myself who work at universities and help students navigate regulatory guidance. There was this proposal that, um, you know, DHS complete these eligibility checks for professionals. And it really, it, to a lot of people, myself included, spoke to an element of distrust um, in the professionals who are supporting students as they navigate these systems. Um, it wasn't about assessing, you know, qualifications or um, providing tools, really. To me, it seemed more about um, a mistrust in schools and universities. Um, the kind of rhetoric about, you know, school officials just letting students fly by night, um, kind of defy the regulations and, um, you know, do whatever, which is, is not the case. Um, So it's great to see that one go as well as the adjustment of the student exchange visitor program fee increases. Um, Those were just increased as recently as 2019, I believe, so kind of seeing that pop up again. um, You know, it's great that these programs are self-funding, but I think the frequency with which fees have increased in the last few years and the burden that places on students um, is worth taking additional looks at. All in all, the spring 2021 agenda, um, at least from the perspective of the Department of Homeland Security as it impacts FM and J students um, seems like really great news, it seems that um, the department is looking more carefully at what its priorities are and taking some of the pressure of the policy changes, and regulatory proposals of the past four years off of the front burners. Um, What we will see come forward will be, you know, only time will tell, but this is the exciting update that I wanted to share. (laughs) So there's like progress of moving backwards
0: in this case. (laughs) Yes.
1: Yeah. Let's slow down. (laughs) Take some closer looks.
0: There seem to be a lot of ideas that in, in kind of the past, at least year, and I've only been a DSO for a much shorter period of time than Kiwi has, um, but I remember they wanted to do something with OPT that would have involved, I can't remember what it was now because they eliminated it like day three or something <laughs> of uh, the new administration, but it would have, it's it just seemed odd that they wanted to, to make more work for themselves because they were already backlogged in USCIS and sort of getting some of these processes through Um, and in some ways you know it's like well why would you want to create this duration of you know what is like what's not working such that you have to put more work on yourselves and yeah and on top of that if you distrust the institutions and you distrust the professionals who are working on this why would you give them more work as well? I
1: don't know. So it's just, yeah. It's clearly like lacking in logic and, um, you know, your point exactly is that this agency USCIS is saying, you know, we're extremely overburdened. We've got beyond, you know, peak delays, you know, delays that we've never seen before for a lot of the forms that F students are filing. Um, and then they roll out this proposal that would require the average student, at least in my university, to apply for at least one extension, but in many cases, multiple extensions for um, doctoral students if they're given a cap. And some of the caps on um, the proposal were that, you know, certain majors or certain, I believe it was certain majors, programs, or um, residents of certain citizenship um, would have only a two year stay so you know you're basically every year filing this extension of stay um, that then goes to the same agency that's overburdened and delayed so it's just it was nonsense essentially you know just like a there was no logic involved and it was entirely in my opinion ill-founded and not coming from a place of um, wanting to support The aims that intercultural, you know, and and global education meet. So, yes, lacking logic all around.
2: It's very a good way to. Oh, go ahead, Olga.
3: It's political, and there is kind of this notion that uh, more processing and more oversight, uh, you know, is somehow better and can tell you that the people working those all those applications are not the ones who are making the policy and so you know it's very much like you have the policy makers and the management and then actually the people doing that work and uh they um are not listened to often so it it's absolute it, all of immigration is a very political beast and so that is uh you know in the last 4 years we've seen the whole kind of um taint of immigrants regardless of how good they are and what kind of services and benefits they offer to our society and so that has just gone out the window and so it is very reassuring to kind of return to honestly just decency and recognition of value that foreign students provide to our country.
2: That is pretty much exactly what I was going to say. I'm glad to see some of these reversals happening. And I hope the advocacy that you mentioned, Kiwi, that you hope has, you know, helped them reverse these things continues because, I mean, from at least all of our perspective, from those of us in higher ed, we know how vital international students are to the success of our higher ed institutions in this country. Not that that's necessarily a good thing because you never know what could happen like a global pandemic. And I think I mentioned that before. But... Nonetheless, we need to prioritize um, like they are hopefully doing kind of in this case, making it as feasible as possible for us to recruit those students, for them to easily come and stay and to make it worth their while because we do see a lot of other countries that have very, um, not loose, but just very beneficial to the student policies um, that the US hasn't necessarily adopted Um, that in my head, I see why students are going to some of these other countries where they can get quality education um, as well from really reputable institutions outside of the United States, but still foreign or abroad to them. So hopefully this is a step in the right direction, as you've been saying, and we can continue progressing so that we can keep that vital source, um, you know, of of money and of culture in our education system. Because I think both, unfortunately, are we need, you know, things that we need in them.
1: Yeah, and if I can just make a plug to like, I think over the past four years, during the Trump administration, a lot of folks who are engaged in this work, really, you know, went to the mat and engaged a lot of advocacy and wrote letters and wrote comments and submitted, um, you know, all of that Talked to their elected officials and um, engaged in, you know, what was what was rightfully important work, but I would say, It's almost even more important now um, where we have where we can see these steps forward for us to continue to keep our foot on the gas in terms of advocacy and engaging those who make these policies, Um, because now we are working with, you know, an administration that is you know, largely in support of a lot of the work that we're doing. So it's a time to accelerate and not slow down. So I would encourage everyone to kind of um, find whatever it is in them to keep going and doing that work because it really, I mean, it, this is evidence it, it makes a difference and, it, and it, it works.
2: And just to clarify for any of our listeners, you mentioned that um, when they release these agendas, there's the ability to public like, comment um, is there a link or something that we could add to the show notes for that sort of thing? and they could yeah. add pa- positive comments? Okay, great. Yeah. we'll mm-hmm. definitely link that below everyone, so check it out in the show notes. Great, yeah. I think
0: and we're, we're ahead, gonna, we'll discuss also the um, kind of the, the political as- aspect because that's been top of the news, but we're gonna save that for the very end. keep keep you listening in case that's the tea you're looking for. But well, so moving away from the student piece of it, there's been some other really great things happening in immigration, which um, Olga's going to talk about. So we've got work permits now being permitted for uh, those who were victims of crime, uh, which is a wonderful step forward to see. And also the overturning, this just happened today, overturning the policy limiting asylum for survivors of violence. So lots happening with the Department of Justice. Um, Olga, if you want to give us that deep dive, that'd be great.
3: Sure. And um, also yesterday, uh, well, so today is June 16. And yesterday on June 15, we celebrated nine years of DACA, which is a huge thing that has been um very good for our country because um nearly 800,000 dreamers have applied and now more are applying because in December Um, the courts uh, overruled the previous administration on the ban of DACA. So now we have even more dreamers applying and some who were not eligible initially back when President Obama first announced it because they didn't meet the age requirement of being uh, 15. So um, those who were just too young, um, you know, uh, didn't have that opportunity. So now we are seeing a lot of uh, new applications. And, What just happened this week is that victims of crime who have applied for something known as the U visa are now able to get work permits faster. And this is very important because there was a limit, there is still a limit, that only 10,000 applications can be approved annually by the U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services for the entire country for victims of crime, 10,000 is nothing. Um, The goal of the program known as a U visa, um, that's the kind of the nickname that is used all the time, but it it is not actually a visa, is it's formally called the U non-immigrant status. Um, So the goal is uh, why it was passed by Congress was to limit um, crime that was being perpetrated in our uh, throughout the country because those who are immigrants were seen as an easy target as vulnerable because they would be then afraid to go to the law enforcement to report the crime and therefore uh, keep the level of crime down. And so actually, um, It's part of the VAWA or the Violence Against Women Act, uh, which was actually uh, is a child of then Senator Biden who helped to write it. And so when the visa passed, uh, it was very new. There was no thought of really how much crime affects the immigrant community. Um, And when Congress passed the law, they capped it at 10,000 per year. And this, and we have been dealing with this now for more than a decade, and the current wait list is over 150,000. So, if the limit is 10,000 per year, and we're at a wait list of 150,000, that means the current wait time is 15 years or more, because these numbers are growing daily. So what the Biden administration announced today is that those people who submitted what they're calling a bona fide application uh, will receive a bona fide determination, BFD. Now, bona fide is a Latin term that means like true on its face, so that it's not fraudulent, so that really you are a victim of a crime. And you should on your on the face of the application initially submitted qualify for this benefit. Eventually, you don't have to wait fifteen years to get your work permit and protection from deportation. That while the process is pending, you um, the victim who has come forward reported the crime is working with the police to identify and find the uh, attackers who are can be robbers, armed robbers, uh, gang attacks, gang violence, um, victims of rape, victims of sexual assault, victims of homicide, um, like family. Uh, so um, I have parents who have unfortunately lost their children or siblings or spouses to homicide that while they are cooperating with law enforcement while they're testifying in court, they are able to get work permits and also uh, be protected from deportation. So right now people have been waiting years and years and years, not even to get an approval, but just to get that work permit. And so now they can have that work permit, but again, they have to show that their initial application you know, it is a good one. So that's, that's the exciting news about that for victims of crime. Um, Another very exciting news that happened just today, also for a very vulnerable group of people um, who are asylum seekers, is that the Biden administration has retracted um, policies and memorandums issued by the previous administration's attorney general. Um, So, Mary Garland who would not be confirmed by the previous administration's uh, Congress is now our attorney general who is the head of the Department of Justice and is not an attorney of the president. He is the attorney of the people. He represents the Department of Justice and his job is to enforce uh, current law He has withdrawn the decisions that women who are victims of domestic violence do not qualify to apply for asylum, and that those who are fleeing gang violence do not qualify to apply for asylum. So he has withdrawn that. And we've had this law um, on the books for quite a while uh, before the Trump administration that women who are victims of domestic violence or men for that matter as well, but so generally victims of domestic violence may seek asylum, that that alone does not disqualify them and that uh, those fleeing gang violence may seek asylum. So um, they are a very vulnerable population, many of whom have no other choice but to flee their country of origin because um, Femicide has been skyrocketing in nations in Mexico, even just our neighbors across the border, especially during COVID um, that are not going prosecuted, that are not even being reported because people say it is pointless that women are being told that they are property of their husband or their boyfriend um, because of um, cultural issues also with machismo. With that, you know, a, a man can treat a woman like his property because that's what she is—not a human being. Um, that and, and again, femicide all over the world is is a recognized problem. So um, that has been uh, for a very long time one. Reason and the Sylee could seek protection in this country from being returned to her or his country, as well as gang violence. Again, our neighbor uh, down south across the border is having huge problems with um, gang violence. Um, the cartels have basically <laughs> taken over a lot of the government functions, uh, as well as in. Um, uh, Latin America and so the South American countries um, in Guatemala and El Salvador, MS-13 and other gangs just uh, are running the government. They are the government. They are the de facto government in many regions. Um, and because of guns, gun trade and drug trade that the United States government often uh, facilitates for various reasons to me. The United States own political agenda. Uh, things keep getting worse south the border. So um, now that is back, and this the initial decisions pulling asylum have turned immigration court upside down and have result uh, resulted in a lot of people being denied asylum and having to appeal it. So um, if you know anyone in that situation, should now. See what if, if we can return to immigration court to reverse those decisions or what can be done, but it's, it's very good news for very vulnerable people who can now uh, continue seeking asylum, whether with an immigration judge and immigration court if they are in removal proceedings or affirmatively filed with USCIS. Um, for those who have not been detained or are not in presently in removal proceedings. So that's the good news. Um, There was a bad decision recently as well in in, uh, relating to immigration. And the Supreme Court uh, just decided that those who hold TPS or temporary protected status Um, which is given to those who are in the United States, whether legally or not, Uh, but uh, the country that they are from has suffered some kind of a disaster, whether uh, due to uh, war or um, ecological disaster like earthquakes and hurricanes that have decimated the population, that... um, those who hold TPS, temporary protective status, are not counted as admitted or paroled. So even though they are given this protected status by immigration, that they are not admitted or paroled for purposes of becoming residents of the United States and getting what's known as a green card or adjusting status. So This was quite a blow, because at least where I am in California and other states, um, courts have decided that it is uh, an admission and that those people may therefore seek residency here in the U.S. if they have a family member who can apply for them without having to leave, without having to apply for a waiver of an admissibility or having to deal with a consulate, but rather to a one or two step process here in the United States that was relatively quick to get a green card. Other states, however, were saying, no, it's not. And so that resulted in what is legally known as a circuit split where courts, some courts were saying, yes, you can. Some courts were saying, no, you can't, which is why this issue went up to the Supreme Court to decide the dispute. And they decided that, unfortunately, in a way that does not help immigrants. And so, if so, this actually leaves a question: for, Well, for those who filed in states like California, in circuits uh, like the Ninth Circuit and others, um, and already have a residency application pending, based on the previous law that has now been overturned by the Supreme Court. One, what happens to them now? uh, Because they paid money for it to immigration, which is quite substantial. Um, The residency fees are 1,225 to the government, not including attorney help. And then a family petition is 535. So that's nearly like $1,800 that people, that's a lot of money for many people. (laughs) Just a lot of money for me. So what happens to those people and then um, what can those TPS holders now do long term because TPS is a short term solution that is usually renewed by um, every couple of years and it is a very political thing and President Trump did pull TPS from many countries, some of it is back um, um, and so It it leaves uh, TPS holders in a limbo is where they are, as opposed to some had a clear pathway to becoming residents and eventually citizens. And so that was a decision by the Supreme Court. And let me say it was not a political one. This was a unanimous Supreme Court decision so something that we don't often see in the immigration world which is a very political animal uh but this was unanimous that it is a question of law and wording and that's where we landed today so a lot of stuff going on in immigration i think um last four years, there was a lot of stuff happening, but bad stuff, Um, my hope and already what we're seeing is that there are bad policies are being overturned, harmful policies are being overturned and that more helpful policies are coming in. But um, the Supreme Court is the Supreme Court, so we'll see. But, and again, this wasn't political and when We have some more political decisions coming up. Uh, I guess we will see where we are because right now the the way the court is divided, it is generally not in favor of immigrants. But again, this past decision on temporary protective status was just a very clear interpretation of the law according to the justices who were addressing a divided uh, circuit split
0: it is interesting to think about how that that you know that there's right now we have a house and a senate that's dominated by the same political party as the president as the executive branch but then in kind of in our supreme court it's leaning towards the other party and so it's kind of that's the the you know what what are we going to see in not just in terms of immigration i'm curious about but in all sorts of things that kind of differ from the general administration's policy and and are kind of more law focused changes
3: but also um the good things that happened uh recently have been policy changes which is in the realm of the president um so so there's law which what well, congress makes supreme court upholds the law and the or i'm sorry supreme court interprets the law right they say oh if there's a question or doubt they interpret what it is and then the president upholds the law and then you know and that's what policy is It's how do you uphold the law and so um when president trump was going around saying that all of asylum is a sham there's a scam dirty immigration lawyers just use it to keep people in the united states that it's not real um so what we have seen today is a reversal on that on recognizing that an asylum is a true legal um uh you know uh Tool for for immigration, and it has been a very long time. And there's actually it's part of international treaties and agreements on, on human rights. Um, and there and the interpretation thereof is of how to uphold that law is is the president's. And so the president is the policymaker. And so the good things we're seeing is is return to what we've had for for quite a long time since the 90s. Um, yes because the 90s was a long time ago (laughs) um uh, and so this is not novel it's just overturning which we've been waiting for a while um so i don't know what other immigration decisions we have pending in front of the supreme court but there are others like roe v wade and others that might uh, are political in their nature so we will see what happens but immigration wise Uh, It's bad news, but as immigration practitioners, we've kind of saw it coming as the unanimous Supreme Court decision um, showed that it was, it was just a wording and they clarified what the law is so. So we will see how that goes and we expect good further policy changes, um, and a, a lot of things will be happening so fingers crossed we just want them to happen faster so that the good things get into play and help more
2: people faster. For Sure. We, everything we want as citizens, we're like, can we do it fast? And the government is, you know, bureaucratic and takes a long time, but I think a good thing to point out um, or a couple of things to maybe point out for any of our listeners who aren't, you know, as um, I don't know, they don't know everything about, you know, how asylum seeking works or anything like that. Like, well, this um there have been some good things for this. Like, let's keep in mind that asylum to seek asylum and to get to actually get the approval or whatever it's called to is very difficult. The threshold is very high still. Um, and it's a very challenging process. And there's a lot of like even docu series that you can watch about it on Netflix and other streaming platforms if anyone you know wants to learn more. But I think, well, this is a step in the right direction, you gotta remember that the reality for most of these people coming to seek asylum, it's going to be, even if they fall into these categories that now look favorable to them, it's still a long um, process and not always going to end up in their favor. Um, Absolutely, and, and
3: uh, the closure that I myself am an asylum, that I received asylum in the United States, uh, and then became a resident and then finally became a citizen just a month before i started law school so um i'd like to think that i contributed in some way and that i'm not some dirty unwanted person that the previous administration would have uh discarded and thought unworthy of being in this country and um you know that otherness that has been stressed a lot by the Previous administration of, of, you know, not being worthy has been um, tainted immigration and immigrants um, for for quite a while in this nation. So it is good to see a reversal of that. And you know what we were saying before with the um, foreign students of just recognition of um, benefits and, and credit to all immigrants.
1: I think one thing too, to add that, I think Erin, your point and Olga, your examples, both touch on is the absolute need for comprehensive immigration reform. Like this can't be a system that's based on policy decisions made by um, the executive branch. You know, it can't be the president's decision to write and unwrite policies. This has to be something that, um, you know, Congress works on, this has to be, Codified and and that speaks to both the difficulty that people experience in navigating the system, whether it be their asylees or um, you know non immigrants or immigrants of any status. But it just the the rhetoric that you talk about, Olga. You know, this is all part of this system that is in desperate need of of comprehensive reform from the ground up, in my opinion. So talking about the different ways that the um, branches of government interplay in this process all just illuminates that to me. Um, and the fact that we're saying like, oh, we want this fast policy change. Well, yes, but we also, we want the slow process too. And we need people who are committed to, to making that slow process um, and driving it driving it home.
3: Right, and Kiwi, just to add what you were saying, I was reminded also by another important positive change is that um, ICE, um, and the department uh, who are part of the Department of Homeland Security who prosecute uh, people in removal proceedings. So they're the ones, instead of a district attorney who presents a case against a defendant in criminal proceedings, I, um, not only there, uh, there are multiple parts, but not just the kind who go around snatching people in vans, but um, they also have attorneys who present cases in favor of deportation of immigrants um, this week, they got back their prosecutorial discretion, um, which, uh, you know, if you have ever watched Law and Order and stuff like that, right, where the the district attorney tries to make a deal with the defendant and work things out, that's called prosecutorial discretion. That means that, you know, they can lower the charges, they can decide to withdraw them completely, or they can press on because they are the prosecutor and they have the discretion to do that. Uh, And that is the same with ICE attorneys who have prosecutorial discretion on whether to put a case on hold, let's say for somebody who's seeking DACA, who qualifies for DACA, who's in the process of getting DACA. Okay, so while you're doing that, we won't deport you or, or, you know, we'll put your case on hold or whether you're a victim of a crime who has that going on with parallel with the Department of Homeland Security, while also The Department of Homeland Security, but another branch of it is trying to deport you. So but we'll put that deportation on hold. And so during the Trump administration, they took that away. They told they had ICE attorneys had no discretion to say, you know, to put cases on hold and say, I'll keep watching over your case, but you don't have to keep going to court. You don't have to keep uh, you know, uh, we don't have to go to trial. And so the courts already are overloaded. Absolutely. The immigration courts are, um, overloaded, set out to five, seven years for a trial. Uh, and now they're taking, they were adding on because they were telling the Trump administration told ICE to try every single case. So, um, now the good reversal is that uh, ICE got their prosecutorial discretion back. So those who qualify for other, for out of court relief, like DACA, like U visa, like uh, relief under the Violence Against Women Act, like special immigrant juvenile status, like adjusting or becoming a resident through a US citizen family member or somebody who entered with a visa uh, and so on and so forth or consular processing and actually leaving um so that is back and that that's actually a very good news but it, again it shows you what a political situation this is because it's not an article to court like uh, courts like criminal courts that are established by the constitution these are civil courts they're not actually a quote-unquote real court and so they are absolutely up to the whim and fancy of of whoever is in power, and so it fluxes and yo-yos and does not serve justice very well. So that would be something that what Kivi was saying with immigration reform absolutely has to be addressed that the whole system needs to be redone. And that is a very long debatable conversation (laughs) for maybe another podcast.
0: I think too the the role of ice question mark what, the role what role what? <laughs> that's another that's another debate um, but we've been talking a lot about all these new happenings and so with that sometimes you mentioned uh, prior to us starting this podcast Olga that that we need to be aware or immigrants uh, need to be aware of various fraud scams that come up particularly when something new is available um, and, and new action can be taken so let's take just a couple of minutes to hear a little bit about protecting how people could protect themselves and um, from these from these scams and be on the lookout and be wary
3: right so um When things are announced by the media, they are very, very rarely explained fully and completely. So just be aware that because there's a new policy uh, that was announced today or yesterday, doesn't mean it's already in effect. So I've been getting calls from people already saying, Where's my work permit? I'm a victim of crime. Where's my work permit? So just keep in mind that it's something new. Let it, um, you know, ask questions from, uh, an attorney or a representative accredited by the Board of Immigration Appeals so that you understand the situation right now, not just at the brief summary you get on the news um, that is not sufficient. And so the worry then too is, is that Um, just because something's announced doesn't mean you should plumb down money right away to quote unquote get your work permit okay so make sure you understand the process first and aren't afraid to ask questions if you're asking questions and they're not being answered then something's amiss okay also if you are ever given a guarantee about something run the other way um An uh, an immigration practitioner can never guarantee anything because an immigration practitioner, uh, an attorney, or an accredited representative is never the decision maker. Uh, The decision is always made by the government. Um, My job uh, as an attorney is to present the best case possible to show that you meet all of the requirements and therefore should be approved but the decision, the final decision is to governments. It's actually against the law uh, to give a guarantee in such a situation as we do not control the outcome. And also a very important thing to do is to always have a contract, a written contract signed that lays out your obligations as a client and what you are paying and how much and to whom as well as the responsibilities of who is helping you. Uh, it goes both ways, that's what a contract does. It lays out obligations of, of all the parties who are involved in the case so that you understand and have it on paper and protect yourself uh, in any kind of situation if something goes not amiss, okay? Um, and also last but not least, always, always, always have uh, receipts of any payments that you make, whether they are to a, a legal professional or to immigration, okay? Always make a copy, always keep receipts so that you know what has been paid and to whom. If you are bringing a filing fee, what has to be paid to the government with your application, it has to be submitted, um, if you don't know how to fill it out, ask the office you are bringing it to, to fill it out in front of you and give you a copy. You do not want to leave a check or a money order blank, okay, because you want, it, you want to see that it is written out to the U.S. Department of Homeland Security or whoever it needs to be. Uh, so that um, it has not then deposited into some personal account and you don't know where, where your money went and you're out, quite a significant sum. okay? So always a signed contract, always um, filled out and copied filing fees so that you know you have a check, you know where it's going to, the number of a money order, and... Um, and always ask questions, always, if, if nobody's answering your questions, if nobody's answering your phone calls, that is very suspicious. And that's not, it's customer service too, right? You're the, the customer. And if you're not satisfied, then go elsewhere. That is a very American ideal that I have come <laughs> to learn and appreciate as an American now that you you know the customer is always right and so get your money's worth and be happy as the customer um and then um at least in some spanish speaking communities notarios are uh thought to be licensed immigration providers but they are not in the united states and notario is a very bad translation of a word notary because of things getting lost in translation and notario is a type of attorney in Mexico and other spanish-speaking countries um, kind of like you know in, in the UK there's a barrister and a solicitor well they're both lawyers what does that mean so notario is a kind of lawyer that can't fill out is is an, is an attorney and can fill out paperwork and knows who qualifies and who doesn't and notario in the united states is somebody who just put up a sign and takes your money and has nothing to do with any legal training whatsoever or is not held to any standard or responsibility by any bar by any uh state by any um board of ethical behavior and so if they then close shop move take all your money and you don't know what's been sent on your behalf they receive all your mail that's that's an value so be very very careful of um, unlicensed law practitioners so that's kind of um, an overlook of of just how to protect yourself and to be smart. And if something doesn't seem right to you, if you don't feel comfortable, then trust your intuition, trust your instinct and go seek help somewhere else. There are a lot of nonprofit organizations with accredited uh, Board of Immigration Appeals representatives. That means they went through courses, uh, they passed training on immigration law, and that if things don't go, you know, if something's wrong, that there's always a recourse to, you can seek to, um, you know, be compensated or to correct your case legally. And there's kind of like a legal trail to follow. Whereas somebody who just put up a shingle and opened an office and just took your money and disappeared, unfortunately, that happens a lot. So with these positive policy changes that we're seeing, As more people qualify for protection from deportation for work permits
1: just be careful and be smart and be vigilant and protect yourself. I wanted to add to Olga I really appreciate the point that you're bringing up about this cultural difference with the notario example. Um, I think that for from the student perspective. um, Many of the students that I work with come from cultures where it may be the norm to. Pay additional fees to um, authority figures for approvals for different permits or you know, um, you know kind of the the bribery element like this may be more of a cultural norm, and so we see this come up frequently with students where they may be contacted by someone who is pretending to be. Um, a representative of a United States government agency who is taking advantage of that cultural norm um, of paying additional fees for approvals or processing, things like that. So I just wanted to also emphasize that when you're paying for a benefit from the United States government, these fees, the filing fees, are published. Um, you know, you can look these up. You should look these up. You should know what the fee is. Um, and that's the fee. There's there's not, you know, DHS, ICE, SCVP, they're not going to call you on the phone and say, pay me this extra money and gift cards um, to get your work authorization. So kind of just breaking down those different cultural norms and expectations. um, We often are talking to our students about the fact that the United States government is never going to call you on the phone to ask you for money. Um, That's just not the norm in our our culture and the way that our government works. So having that kind of cultural fluency or someone who can explain that to people who are in very tenuous or potentially vulnerable situations I think is so critical so knowing where that information is and being able to look it up and trusting your gut, as you said, like if something doesn't feel right it's worth a second look
3: very good point kiwi and also all forms are free and available online or you can go to a local immigration office and ask for that form to be given to you they're all pre-printed never ever pay for the form itself that's also a thing of fraud that we've uh seen before um and uh also um shoot i had a really good point and now i can't recall if it pops back up i'll let you guys know (laughs) Happens to
0: all of us. I was thinking about how there's also the USCIS has some 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 electronic forms.
3: They do, and then you were talking to me about phone calls. So actually, last week the Department of Justice sent out Department of Justice Executive Office of Immigration Review, which is the head of immigration. Um, They sent out an email saying that someone has been calling immigrants with um from the number belonging to the chief judge overseeing all the immigration courts in the country requiring immigrants to give their private and personal information over the phone to the caller saying that they were the court so um, not only will the government never ask you for payment over the phone they will never call you and they will never ask you personal information over the phone. If um, they want you to go somewhere for an interview, for an appointment, for a ICE check in, for a court hearing, everything is done by mail because that is the service process. They have to show a paper trail that you have been served properly. Uh, and so, because if some, if their address is wrong, if anything is wrong, then And you don't show up then you don't then it's not your fault you're not there and so that which carries huge immigration consequences like somebody doesn't show up to their removal hearing um and they got properly served they ordered removed automatically but if you can show hey it was it was sent to the wrong address or they never mailed it to begin with then um so there's a very very significant legal requirement that everything is done by mail, by old school snail mail. So uh they the government will never call you. So um be very vigilant about that. And they were very embarrassed and, and they didn't know how it happened, but it was coming from the phone number and the office or looking like it was coming from the phone number and office of the chief judge of in the whole country for
2: immigration court.
3: So there you go. That is scary.
2: It gets into all the different hacking stuff we've heard about lately or being able to fake identities X, Y, and Z way.
3: population. These are people who are in deportation proceedings, right? right. So, we're not Jeff Bezos is going up to space with his multi bazillion dollars and who want to take his money. These are very vulnerable people, with very vulnerable, limited funds. So,
2: right and who are willing to do what they need to do to make sure they stay in the country if they're in the midst of a deportation process. So So.
3: now they hear some kind of threat, authority, they think, oh, I got to do what they're telling me, but, you know, very different cultural situation and they're afraid. And so they're, I'm going to do whatever's required of me and don't don't know how to, that 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 is not done this way in this country.
0: Yeah, there's a special... Special place
3: in uh, in hell, as we like to say, for those kinds of people. Frequently, people who take care, who take advantage of their own communities. So, um, and there's that kind of also. Well, you're you're the same like I am. So I will trust you, even though what you're saying kind of seems a little shady. So something also to be vigilant about. Oh,
0: that's makes it really that's very sad. Um, We're vulnerable then. Taking advantage of the other vulnerable. That's not great. Well, so we have been going for an hour now, um, but we'll briefly touch on, you know, our super hot topic, uh, which is our vice president and some words that were said uh, to an, the people of Guatemala. Um, who would like to start? This is, there's a lot of, you know, Feelings, but I guess a basic over, overview is uh, Kamala Harris, Vice President Kamala Harris was down in Guatemala and she was uh, speaking to a, speaking to the Guatemalan people and, and she was saying, you know the words were something along the lines of don't come, don't come. proceeded to say that the United States would follow their usual uh, what they have to do, turn people away at the borders. Um, I've read some articles that are saying that she also talked about how ways that the United States, what, the, what this administration perceives as helping Guatemala and in, in their country to try to, you know, make it such that people don't want to leave. So there, it, you know, it was it was in a context, however, um, some words were said and a lot of people have a lot of feelings about those words. Um, so I'll I'll leave it open to other people t- to comment.
1: I think this is just a perfect example. I mean, I don't want to sound like a broken record, but if I'm a broken record on this point, then so be it. Um, you know, that I think to her credit, what she was trying to communicate was that there are illegal channels for immigration. However, we've said it time and again, um, in this recording, and previously, the legal system doesn't work. Um, and personally, I think that global mobility is a basic human right. People should be able to make the decision to come and go um, without, worrying about their livelihood, their personal well-being, their safety, their lives, et cetera. They shouldn't be put in situations where, um, as we've kind of been talking about, you know, when when Olga was discussing, Um, You know, those who are fleeing violence or seeking asylum that's not a decision that is made lightly. Um, And so I think that perspective like oh just do it the legal way um, is such a flawed one when the legal system doesn't support people who are truly vulnerable and, and need the assistance to make those decisions and make those moves so it was disappointing to hear those words coming out of her mouth as a representative of this administration that you know, we've highlighted many examples already, this episode of accomplishments and um, agendas that are more immigration friendly. So it was very disappointing to hear that, especially um, You know, not to get too political, but especially as, as, you know, during the election, she ran as a person who was a child of immigrants and espoused the value of her parents' experience as immigrants to this country. So um, for me, it's just another example of how desperate the situation is for legal reform of the immigration system because you can't just tell people to do it the legal way and not provide a legal way that fits their needs.
0: That's such a good point. And I want to
1: also clarify
0: I think that she was also speaking to a specific community or group of people who, or at least amongst them, were asylum seekers. And I didn't want to misquote that because I don't I should have taken notes but I don't have that article right in front of me but there was that there is that context of like this was in um in a space where asylum seekers were from Guatemala were kind of who were the targets of this message so yeah it wasn't just you know don't come for vacation and then you know attempt to stay or something along those lines which uh, you know, still warrant, warranted. Look, comments being questionable, um, but but the yeah, it was a this very vulnerable group of people.
2: And let's remember that. And that I'm looking into it a little bit more now. A lot of these articles and probably news headlines. Although I try to not watch the live news because it's overwhelming to me still after the last four years, but you know a lot of these articles and i'm sure those headlines are saying you know that quote do not come do not come that she said but it was in reference to illegal immigration which is separate from the legal outlets that we do have however i think as kiwi was saying you know those processes don't necessarily work and also especially in the cases of many of our neighbors in central america the timeline even if they the process did work just doesn't work for their situation Um, El Salvador, Guatemala, Nicaragua, many of these countries, uh, pretty much all of Latin America, to be honest, have been heavily impacted by um, U.S. foreign policy and are, in my opinion, um, we really are uh, ultimately uh, the root cause of many of the issues there, the quote unquote war on drugs. And uh, however many coups and things we were involved in that have, un, you know, destabilized the region um, for decades to come. So unfortunately, for us to say at this point we're going to find a solution to work together with these countries, it's a couple decades too late, you know. Um, and at this point, we've created our own problems, um, and we we really need to proactively do something about it. So telling people not to come will I see what her point of view is on that. And I think Olga might have a good point as to why specifically Harris is saying that as well. Uh, And so I'll let her talk about that in just a minute. But I think the idea that you know we're just going to be able to put those words out there and her saying, I think I read in one article that they're in the planning stages of what um, action they can do in order to create the change that is necessary for these immigrants to want to stay in their countries. Again, don't come out with saying that until you have something more concrete. Uh, this is actually a, something I wrote, You know, did some significant research on in college, specifically about some of these countries. Of even the, the return of immigrants from the United States when they're deported back to their home country and what that process looks like actually creates more of an issue oftentimes in those countries um, because of the lack of support they have upon arrival. And the gang systems and drug cartels and different things that are already kind of seeking out, again, those vulnerable populations and how much havoc um, that can cause. So there's so many elements to this. And yeah, it was disappointing to see these, this uh, rhetoric coming from the administration. Hopefully there's something in the future soon that we can hear that's positive or not just positive, but something more like tangible or substantial of how can we actually enact that? because ultimately, it doesn't matter which side of the political um, spectrum you're on, we know that that is part of the solution in the future for everyone. I mean, most of these immigrants, at least from anecdotally, what I've, you know, heard um, from knowing some actual immigrants from countries like El Salvador that have tried to seek asylum in the US, they don't want to leave, there is a reason they are actively, you know, fleeing in most cases. So, um, who would want to leave their country if they didn't have to? Often people think, oh, everyone wants to come to the US, but really there is a really big motivating factor to make a huge move like that. Um, so just keep that perspective in mind. I hope our listeners do. Um, and Olga, I know you had some good insights. So I'll maybe throw it off to you and see if you could add why you think she specifically is the one saying these things.
3: Uh, sure. And I think whoever wrote for speech, um, you know, they often have political writers did not do her a favor because it, it is um, it has been focused like laser pointed onto that um, phrase without looking at larger context. And even when running in elections, you um, Biden has been saying that the root cause of all of these migra- uh, migrations need to be addressed. the the poverty, the violence, the drug cartels, um, now the pandemic as well, uh, and um, so that is a huge cause. Uh, but also, that my problem with that statement is that. Um, making it seem as if coming to the United States border or at the airport and asking for asylum as if that is illegal. When in fact, that is the very exact legal process of how asylum should be asked for. If somebody is asking for protection from outside of the United States, say in, in, in their own country or in any other country, that is called, that is a refugee, where they are approved either by the United Nations or by um, the country they are coming to or want to come to from abroad. When somebody comes to an airport or comes to the border, that is how you ask for asylum. That is the legal way to do it. There is no other way. So you have to come to ask for asylum. And so That is what irates me to no end because she, that speech, whether in context or out of context, is telling people to not seek asylum lawfully. And so that is something that is very much misunderstood by the lay people. And she, as an attorney, should very much know that that is the legal, lawful recourse to ask for asylum. And she, as a political leader should not dissuade people in very vulnerable dire circumstances from seeking lawful protection from the situation from the hardship that they are facing that they must flee this is not a decision of mm, you know of like picking daisies i'll come or not come this is people fleeing for their lives and so this is not a choice they make it is a must and so that's where we are. But um, that that statement too makes me think on a personal note as an attorney that she plans to run for president and that she also wants to appear moderate and say, well, hey, you know, I'm, I'm not for illegal immigration. I'm, you know, everything's have to be done legally. But again, the point is that that is the legal way to ask for asylum is to come to the border or once you're in the United States to seek asylum from within, it is the process. There's no other way to seek asylum. That's how you do it. <laughs> I feel like, you know, a late show like like John Oliver trying to do. I wish John Oliver, you know, if he wants to have me as a guest, I will gladly help out, but- Will
2: he come is- on our show?
3: That was a real <laughs> mic drop moment. I loved
2: it. <laughs> yeah. Right.
3: <laughs> we'll try to get this on his radar. We'll-
0: okay. <laughs> right.
2: Well, and I think to that point, I just want to add, like, I understand her want to run for president, and especially given the Biden situation, and he's not ne- necessarily a two-term president, um, which I get. However, you shouldn't be putting at risk those vulnerable populations for, to get to your, the ends of your means, you know, um, to get to your goal, essentially. And so that does irritate me a bit when you pointed that out. That made me kind of click for me. So the that was something attention. of A
3: politician who, uh, though, so that that you know, and I think that is maybe why that whole draining of the swamp became so popular with Trump because people have been very fed up with that. I hold public office that is supposed to serve you all, but I also have my own interests as uh you know to to improve my own power and status and so that is the ultimate political definition of a politician so that's kind of where we are and so uh maybe it's very pessimistic of me but that uh she uh kamala harris has been a public servant for a very long time as a district attorney um as uh, a senator in California, as an attorney general in California, then there's a senator in California. So that is um, so I cannot kind of forget that as a resident of California and put it past her. But there, there always is kind of a double speak in the political world, and that is why immigration should not be political, and that's why we need immigration reform.
1: There it's not go. pessimistic That's the point of the episode. to hold. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was just gonna say it's not pessimistic to hold your elected officials accountable to you know, right? Doing That's their just, work, <laughs> especially
2: <laughs> when we're supposed to be the epitome of democracy in the United States, it should be the expectation of the citizens of this country that we can do that. So
1: I think you're all right.
3: That is so. So now cherish it even more than ever because we now understand really how frail it is yeah
0: well everyone this was amazing uh, <laughs> i hope so well, engaging through to the end you know that that was the real tea i'm trying to be gen z or something i don't know is it working anyway <laughs> um oh gosh <laughs> uh when i heard about that i was like what uh that's what happens. Lexicon. It changes. Um, thanks everyone for listening in. I want to give a plug. If you are in the Fresno area, there are some kittens that need a home. They have popped up on the screen a couple times. Uh, they are just absolutely adorable. So, you know, if you want a kitten, let us know. <laughs> uh, the date is, what is today? It's June 16th, 16th. Twenty 10 weeks old they are 10 weeks old (laughs) but that also dates our episode so thank you everyone for tuning in today
2: thanks for listening to today's travel takes episode we hope you enjoyed the conversation if you did give us a like or a rating you can also join the discussion by visiting our website listed in the show notes and remember keep thinking globally